Welcome to this week of the Family Brand Podcast. Today I have with me Suzette Halterman. She is a certified relationship and couples coach who specializes in helping couples navigate their biggest differences. And I had the chance to meet Suzette virtually this past year. She went through our family brand program and then we were able to collaborate on a few things. And I've been wanting to have her on the podcast for a long time, so I'm glad that that she was able to come today and share about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Sounds foreboding, right? <laughs> it's um, as described by John Gottman, these four horsemen are things that come up in relationships sometimes. There's way, there are ways we interact with each other that aren't the best at creating intimacy and connection. So Suzette dives into that, um, what these four horsemen are and how we can you know, develop skills to overcome them. So I think you're going to love her, love this conversation, and be sure and connect with Suzette. Hello and welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur. My name's Melissa, and I am a wife, mother, former nurse turned real estate investor. And we believe the greatest gift you can give your child is a last name that stands for something. Your last name is your family's brand. If you are a parent who wants to raise your child to know who they are, love who they are, and believe in who they are, this show is for you. We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work. This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. Welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. Today I have Suzette Halterman. Thank you, Suzette, for joining me today. I'm excited to be here. Suzette is amazing. I had the chance to meet her virtually. I think you bought her family brand program, I think is initially how we were connected. And then you had a great experience with it. And you said, I want to bring this to my community. Suzette is a certified relationship coach. And so we did a webinar for her community. And it was so fun to be able to collaborate on that with you and meet some of your community. So we go back like six months, Suzette and I. I know. Right. So I brought Suzette on. As I said, she is a relationship coach. And I had someone reach out recently who said, can you do a podcast episode on the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Is that what they're called? Yes. Okay. Yeah. By um, the Gottmans, the Gottman Institute. And so I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know someone who, who would, who I'd been wanting to have on the podcast anyway. So Suzette, welcome again. And can you tell us well, tell us a little bit about maybe yourself and your family to get started. Um, I've got four kids and my youngest is eight. My oldest is 14. I live in a small mountain town of Colorado, tiny town. So I do a lot of my work virtually and I work with couples, um, mostly couples and who are navigating differences of different kinds. And I love working with couples and I've trained at the Gottman Institute. So I do know a lot about the Four Horsemen and I'm really excited to talk about them uh, because I think it's a really important topic for people to understand. And I don't think most people really understand. A lot of people have heard about it, but they don't understand the important parts of them. Yeah, I know. I know I don't. So I'm excited to learn from you today. Tell me, um, how did you get into doing couples coaching? I was trained as a marriage and family therapist a long time ago, and then I took a break raising my kids, and I kind of got back into it. Didn't know if I wanted to go the therapist path, the coach's path, but I just liked the coaching path better for lots of reasons. For me personally, it's just a better fit for the fact that I work virtually um, instead of in person because I live in a tiny town. 
Um, so I just, that's, it's always been a passion of mine and I just love working with couples. It's very fulfilling. It's fun. It's never dull. I can say that for sure. Yes. Okay. Tell me a little bit, if a listener were hearing the word, you know, the Gottman's or the Gottman Institute for the first time, you mentioned you were trained in their philosophies. Tell, mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about who the Gottmans are and what the Gottman Institute is. Yes. So John Gottman um, has done a lot for the field of research around relationships and couples in particular. Um, he was actually a mathematician and he taught math and he did a lot of research for like physics and engineering. And then he ended up also getting a psychology degree. And so because he loves research, he brought research into the field of psychology and relationships because there just wasn't a lot of science and data. It was more observational, um, kind of anecdotal. So he did a lot for helping us understand with data about couples and what makes marriages thrive, what makes marriages fail. And that was huge. His, his data disproved a lot of the, the theories about what makes relationships successful or not. And it was helpful in guiding kind of other therapists, family therapists to know how best to help their couples. And then he married a therapist. So they kind of combined his research with her clinical skills and created a whole like way of working with couples, uh, formed the Gottman Institute, and they train therapists and coaches and they have courses and they have a ton of stuff. So it's kind of grown and it's, and they've written books and um, yeah, so that's, that's about them. And did they, I think I remember reading that they had like a research facility where they would actually bring in real life couples yes. and serve them. Yes. Because you think like, well, how do you get actual like hard data on couples? So they created the love lab is what they called it. It's basically an apartment and, they, and people would come stay for 24 hours. Couples would come stay, but there was cameras bolted on all the walls. Um, they would hook them up to monitors. They would take like every time they use the bathroom, they would take samples of their urine. So they would use urine samples for um, like testing different things and they would take blood samples. So they were testing for stress hormones, immune system function. They were monitoring heart rates and then they, they were recording everything. And then they had people who are trained in like coding facial expressions like analyzing every single element of every conversation they had, because there's a whole science, like every, we, we can only convey our emotions through so many facial movements. And there's, there's a science to that, like one raised eyebrow here and a lip twitch here is a signal of this emotion. So they coded all of the emotions. They took note of what words were said and tone and like everything to get a really big picture. So yeah, that's the love, the love lab. That's how they gathered all the data and then, then they would follow up with these couples. Where were they three months, you know, down, down the road, six months, whatever. Um, and that is how he compiled a lot of formulas to predict, like couples who do this end up here and couples who do this end up here. Um, so it's really interesting. That is so interesting. And just that observation in a 24-hour period, he developed enough research to be able to say, like, the likelihood of what we observed here is that they're going to be here in three to six months. Right. It's Well, he did it over and over with, you know, thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of couples that were like, I can't remember, like 32 years or something. So, and they're still doing it, but now they can do it. You, there's virtual labs because we have a lot more technology for those things. Mm -hmm. And it became a very accurate predictor. His 
his formulas, like couples who do this, it's like, I can't remember the exact number, but it's like a 90 something percent prediction accuracy. So it's pretty impressive. And is that what the four, the four horsemen are? Yes. So four horsemen are one of the predictors of divorce. There's, there's a few, well, I think there's like six official, but the four horsemen is one predictor of divorce and not just of divorce, but of relationship satisfaction because some people can be miserable but they never pull the plug and get divorced Mm -hmm. so but yes the four horsemen are that and he calls them the four horsemen because there are four behaviors that um all go together and it's it's in reference to the bible the book of revelations there's four horsemen that ride before the end of the world so that's why he called these the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they're riding before the end of the marriage. Like if you see them, you know that like the end is coming basically is what it's in reference to. That's a funny, I don't know why I thought that name kind of makes me laugh. Like four <laughs> horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay. So let's just jump in. What are four horsemen of the apocalypse? Yes. So the criticism is the first one. Um, defensiveness. Um, stonewalling and contempt and I'll go into each of these more specific but those are those are the four so do you want me to just go into yeah please do yeah let's just start with some yeah description of them yeah so criticism is when you're pointing your finger at your partner basically and telling them all the ways they are defective in the relationship so you know you always you never like you're complaining about the ways that they are the problem basically and it's not that, that somebody's doing that out of meanness. It's that we really think that that's going to help, right? Like, you never clean anything. Like, your room, you always leave your laundry. Whereas we usually criticize because we're trying to get our partner to change. Um, it's very normal behavior. And so it's not that if, if, if someone is critical or criticizes from time to time that, uh-oh, that's a four horseman, that means divorce. Mm-hmm. The problem with criticism is that it invites more of the four horsemen in. Because if someone is critical of you, um, you're not just going to respond with, oh, thank you so much. Yes, I think I will do things differently, right? Like that's in our dream world. That's what we're hoping for. But like it never happens that way. So criticism is is a four horsemen because it invites more deadlier horsemen. It's kind of like sometimes the first, the first of the four horsemen to show up. So it's not deadly in and of itself, but it invites the next of the four horsemen, which is defensiveness. Um, so if somebody's attacking your character, because criticism is, yeah, it's it's very much attacking the character. Again, it's here's the way you're defective. That's going to invite defensiveness. And defensiveness can go one of two ways. It's either a counterattack, like, oh, you, I'm, you say I'm messy, you're messy, right? Like mm-hmm. I see my kids do this all the time. Kids are great at defensiveness. It's like, no, you're dumb, you know? Right, exactly. Like we do this as adults, just usually kinder language, but defensiveness can be either like a counterattack or it's like innocent victim. Like I never do that. Like that wasn't what I meant, you know, like that wasn't my intention. So we become either like an innocent, we're innocent or we counterattack. And so defensiveness doesn't work either because it escalates the problem usually. So if you're defensive, What's that going to invite in the interaction? It's going to invite, I mean, if you're counterattacking, well, it's just inviting in an escalation, more criticism, more defensiveness. If you're the innocent victim, well, then that makes the other person feel like they're not 
being heard or understood. So it's going to escalate the problem. The four horsemen are problematic because they escalate the negativity. And that's why they're so problematic. They're not behaviors that calm things down or create more functional problem solving. They escalate the negativity. And that was another one of Gottman's findings that that positivity is critical in relationships. Like you need more positive interactions than negative interactions. Um, you need 20 to one. So wow. 20 positive act interactions for every one negative interaction. And in conflict, you need five positive interactions for every one negative interaction. So even in like difficult conversations, you still have to have more positivity than negativity. And the four horsemen, get they just like suck away all the positive interaction. And they bring on all the negative interaction and then it's really problematic. So those are the first two, criticism and defensiveness. Stonewalling is the next one. And stonewalling is really just like a, a measure of emotional withdrawal. So it's like when you're talking to somebody, but they're not giving you any vocalization that they're following you. So there's no like, uh-huh, yeah, like I get it. They're not saying anything. And they're not like nodding their head. They're not following you. So it could look like they're just turning away from you. They're doing something else, kind of like they're ignoring you. So it's it's like you're talking to a wall. That's why it's called stonewalling. Like you're not getting responsiveness back. And to the person receiving that, it feels like disapproval. To the speaker, that feels like disapproval. And it it amps up our nervous system and it feels like, so then we're probably going to go into cr more criticism, right? Like if you're not talking to me, I'm going to start to feel more critical or I might get defensive or I might stonewall back. So again, it, it escalates negativity. It doesn't invite any healthy conflict management. And usually the person stonewalling is not doing it to be mean or like cruel. It's they're thinking if I just like don't interact that maybe this will go away. Like if I just don't acknowledge that this is happening, if I don't say anything, then maybe it'll blow over. So it's their method of trying to make things better, just like people who criticize are trying to make things better, but it never works because we have a psychological response to that, to not like being met with any kind of anything. You can see this, babies do the same thing. So if you Google the still face experiment, they do this mm -hmm. with babies. It's like they'll have the mom like talk to the baby and then like make their face go totally still. So they're not like giving any reciprocation to the baby. And you can see the baby start to amp up and escalate and use all these negative strategies to like try to get the parent's attention. Um, so it's a very like it's a psychological response that we have. Even babies have it. Yeah. We have it as adults. Like if we're not being met with some sort of interaction, then we kind of go crazy in our heads. <laughs> And we escalate in our reactivity and in our negativity. What's interesting about stonewalling is that it's in heterosexual relationships. It's something like 85% of the time it's males who do this. And in heterosexual relationships, it's it's females who are mostly doing the criticizing. So it is very long gender lines, which is interesting. And in this, his data, he found that What's causing stonewalling is when people's heart rate gets above 100 beats per minute, they found within 10 seconds they would stonewall. So it's really a psychological response. Like I'm getting really amped up, so I end up stonewalling as a way to deal with that. 
Um, and so well, I'll talk in a minute about what to do instead of all these four horsemen, but that's, that's where it comes from. It's like just a response to like being really amped up for some people, particularly men, as they kind of shut down, they withdraw and it really just amps up their partner who's on the receiving end of that. Yeah, I could see that if you're, you I mean, this is all happening. You're probably not even aware of it, but it's like, yep. I'm getting anxious. My heart is beating faster. It seems like the best response might be to like shut down. Yes. I could see like how that would play out. Totally. Yeah. I see my son does this, right? Male. He, he does it with headphones. They're like, oh, mom's talking to me. I'm getting annoyed. Boop. Headphones go on. <laughs> but yeah, it happens really fast for us. It's very automatic. So the last, the last of the four horsemen and the deadliest is contempt. And that is a feeling of like superiority. You're speaking from a place of like being better than, smarter than, more informed than, like I'm more intelligent, I'm better than, I'm neater than you. It's, it's a position of superiority. And what that looks like in couples is insults. Like I'm going to throw some insults at you, mocking sarcasm like body language of like eye rolling i see that i see eye rolling a lot in couples or kind of just like you know that kind of like sound kind of scoffing body language though those are all forms of contempt and contempt is the best predictor of divorce so if you have contempt that also likely means that all the other horsemen are there that's probably what brought contempt in right if there's enough criticism and defense and stonewalling over and over it's it's going to build into contempt eventually so if, if contempt is there you know like well this is bad news like we're not in a good place and yeah it's it's the single greatest predictor of divorce so that really has to get eliminated quickly if that presents itself in a relationship the reason for that is because you can't have intimacy and connection if you're not um viewing each other as like same as like if you're not seeing each other as equals it's really hard to have connection and intimacy if one person is feeling like they're better than or superior to and like the other person is just you know not good enough for them you can't build a relationship on that which is why it's it usually ends up in divorce i've done um i've done some actually i had her on the podcast a few months ago was um jennifer finlayson fife mm -hmm. she talks about this i think this is what you're describing how sometimes you get into a relationship and you have someone that's always one up and someone yep. one down but you kind of you might kind of live there like a lot of your relationship maybe not even recognizing it but even the one down person they can kind of exist there because they have some sort of power like in that lower yep. position which I totally interesting yeah yeah no and that that's comes from terry real he's a therapist and that's his mm. language of one up and one down and it's it's the same thing and he says you, you cannot have a relationship uh unless it's same as right that that both people have to come you either have to come down from your one up position or you have to come up from your one down position to really create a thriving relationship so same same idea different language yes that's yeah, yeah i love that the thought of of that like are am i in my relationship are we presenting as as equals mm -hmm. totally okay so if i'm like listening to this and i'm like oh no am i doing any one of these things is our relationship doomed help me see that like what okay. i'm sure other people listening are thinking the same yes is this coming no. up we all do these things the goal is to 
be aware of them and try to stop them again, because the problem with the four horsemen is that it, they invite the other four horsemen. So stopping them before the negativity escalates is the goal. So I'll, I'll go through all of them and tell you what to do instead. Like yes. if you find that. So let's say you are one who's prone to criticism. That's me. That's my four horsemen that I'm more prone to. So Gottman divides these into like the masters versus the disasters of the relationship. So disasters or high risk for divorce people use a lot of criticism. People who are low risk or masters, they point their fingers at themselves. So instead of like, it's not really pointing fingers. They they focus on themselves instead of the other person and they make requests from the eye. So instead of you never help me with the kids, it's like I am feeling or I'm thinking or I'm perceiving, right? So you're focusing inward on what is happening with you. I'm feeling really unsupported right now. And then you make a request instead of a complaint. Criticism is all complaint. And what you want to do, like, I'm feeling unsupported. I would love it if you could pitch in and help me out with the kids right now, right? Mm -hmm. Totally different feel. That is what we call responsible complaining <laughs> instead <laughs> of like irresponsible complaining, which is like, you never help me and blah, blah, blah. So we want to focus inward. The other part of criticism is you're minimizing or the other antidote to criticism is you're minimizing intensity. So you're not making it like this is a huge thing that's destroying our marriage. It's like, eh, I love 99 things about you. This one thing is kind of bothersome. So I'm not going to make a huge deal, but I'm in a request. So I feel anxious when you're spending money without talking to me. I would love if sit down and compromise around our budget, you know? So that's, that's not criticism. That's just requesting something. And the reason that we don't do that as easily as humans is because there's a lot more vulnerability when we request something because it sets us up for they could reject that. They could choose not to, right? Complaining, there's no vulnerability in complaining and criticizing. Like you spend too much money. You never help with stuff. Like there's no vulnerability. I'm still totally protected if I just mm -hmm. complain. But if I say, I'm feeling really unsupported. I would love it if you would sit down with me and work on this. They could say no to that. You can even like feel it. If you make a request, you can almost feel like a little bit of exposure. Like, oh no, they could, they could reject me. They could say no. It's vulnerable. And that's why our brains don't do that because our brains don't like to be vulnerable. They're there to protect us and keep us safe. So I think too, like as you're describing it, even saying like, I am feeling unsupported even that i feel yeah. is a little bit exposure as opposed to your other example of the, you never help with the kids like it's not as exposed i guess you're feeling totally. yeah which is why we don't do that <laughs> we like to just keep ourselves safe and protected so the opposite of criticism is really being vulnerable saying how you feel and what you would like and minimizing the intensity and gaman calls that a soft startup so it's not like harshness it's it's vulnerability it's softness um and it is very vulnerable but intimacy and connection requires vulnerability so one thing that i have found useful that you've you've been saying but maybe i just like to highlight it here is that those phrases like you always you never usually they're not true usually it's not an right. always or never but i feel like those do lead to the escalation that you were talking about so tell me if you disagree that we've tried to just eliminate those from when we're talking to each other, like you always, you never. Absolutely. Yes. That's a really good rule of thumb because you always and you never are pretty indicative of criticism. Like you can't really not be criticizing if you're using that kind of language. Yeah. 
So absolutely, it's a good point. So if the opposite of defensiveness is um, taking ownership for even a small part of the problem. So like, for example, I'm a messy cooker. Like I just, I don't put stuff away as I use it. I make a mess. The other day, my husband came back. He was like helping clean and he made some remark that was semi-critical about the messes that I make when I was cooking. And I wanted to get defensive, but I remembered this and I just took ownership. But I was like, I do. I struggle with that. I know I'm horrible at cooking cleanly. Right. So just taking ownership for what you struggle with instead of getting defensive. So even if somebody comes at you with criticism, you can stop the escalation by just owning like, I do struggle with that sometimes. Or even if you feel like you really didn't do something, you can still take ownership for a small part. Like, yeah. Maybe I did raise my voice. Maybe I did instead of like, instead of just being super defensive about it. And then the other antidote to defensiveness. So you're going to own a little bit and you're also just going to be curious about the other person because defensiveness becomes all about me, right? Like, how dare you? But being curious about the other person looks more like wondering how you're impacting them. Like, oh, yeah, tell me more about what you're experiencing or what you're feeling, right? Instead of, getting defensive about how I'm feeling, I want to get curious about what's going on with you in this Mm -hmm. moment. So if you're curious about the other person and you're owning your part, like that just melts away their, the escalation of them wanting to come back with more defensiveness, more criticism. It opens up dialogue and that's what we want. Open up things instead of just escalate and build, build negativity. What's an example of in that, the example you shared about your cooking a curious response. What would that have maybe looked like? Okay. So I could just be like, I, I do, I struggle with that. And then I could be like, oh, that must be really hard for you. Cause he, he works night shifts. So he comes, like I get, I cook breakfast and then I get the kids to school. He comes home and he usually helps clean up before he goes to sleep. So I can just be like, oh, that must really be hard to come home to like a super messy kitchen and you're tired and there's a lot to clean. Like I get that. Does that make you angry? Does that make you frustrated? So I can ask mm-hmm. questions about it. I can put myself in his shoes yeah. instead of being like, well, I'm doing all this work to get the kids off to school. And it's you have no idea how crazy it is in the morning, right? Like I totally could go that way. And in my head, that's what I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> you get four kids off to school when they, one of them is like freaking out about something, right? Yeah. Um, so just like, no, like I can be curious. Like, just what is that? Are you feeling mad about that? Are you feeling sad? Like, are you feeling just grumpy and tired because you've had a long night at your job? Um, yeah, that's helpful. that helps. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. So the antidote to stonewalling is just self-soothing, taking a break. So stonewalling is because you are your body's getting amped up. So the antidote is to take a break and get yourself calmed down. It can be like just distraction, like looking at your phone reading, but you're not going to do that while they're trying to talk to you. Like, I'm not going to, you know, scroll on my phone. Like, I'm not in the mood to talk about this right now. Can we talk about it in 30 minutes? I need to decompress. And during that time, you go for a run, you go for a walk, you watch a show so that your brain gets back into a functional place where you can like face each other and talk about whatever it is instead of um, needing to like turn away from them. So self-soothing is the antidote of stonewalling. And women whose spouses tend to stonewall need to know that. Like if they ask for a break, you got to give it to them so that then they can come back into a more present place and actually talk with you. So that's stonewalling. And then the antidote to contempt is 
creating a culture of appreciation. So people who are contemptuous are really scanning the environment and looking for the bad and then criticizing the bad. So the antidote to that is to really scan the environment to what's going well, look for the good, and acknowledge the good. So you're fostering a culture of noticing the good things and appreciating. So you're verbalizing the good things, respect, creating a culture of respect. So, you know, eliminating all the insults and the anything that is coming across as being superior or looking down on. So just cultivating appreciation, respect, fondness, and admiration. And that could be really hard for people who have built up a lot of contempt. It could be really hard to do that. It's almost like a, a mind shift you have to make to like look for the good. In fact, Gottman found that people who are in that contemptuous place miss uh, about 50% of the good things that are actually happening. Like they could, you know, on their videos, watch like a spouse, like helping put away groceries or doing something. And, and the person that's in a place of contempt wouldn't even notice, acknowledge like at least half if not more. And yeah, so the couples that are the disasters of the relationship have a lot of contempt. Masters of the relationship have almost none, almost no contempt. So because they they naturally are looking for good or they're they're appreciating each other, um, they have respect. So yeah, so that's the antidote to all of the four horsemen. This is so fascinating. You said something earlier that I wanted to jump back and ask you about. You said that he recommends you have 20 to 1 interactions, mm. like 20 positive to, to 1 negative. How would you, and you kind of been describing this a little bit, but how would you say if you realize like we are not having this, you know, that many positive interactions where the negative are far outweighing the positive, yeah. how would you recommend to couples to maybe begin to increase their positive interactions with each other? being really intentional about it like I'm going to because positive interactions can be like physical touch like I'm gonna you know touch you on the shoulder as you walk by um it can be humor playfulness but it can also just be like asking questions so you could say I'm gonna ask instead of always making it about me I'm gonna ask like 10 open-ended questions today like and some spouses don't like you know maybe they don't like that but just finding different things. Um, so curiosity, questions, physical affection, um, playfulness, humor. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Just owning, owning your part. That's also a positive interaction. Basically all the things, all the antidotes that we've been yeah. talking about. Those are positive interactions. And so even just turning, turning towards your partner, that's a, a Gottman idea. So if they say something, like you turn your attention towards them, and you're interested in it, right? They talk about bread and you're like, oh, what bread are you talking about? Or they're like, remember the time? And you're like, oh yeah. And you engage in conversation. That's turning towards a positive interaction. So every time they speak, just shift your attention to what they're talking about, whether you shift it physically or you acknowledge it like verbally from the other room, that's a positive interaction. So those are just some little things you can do and those will naturally, and thank yous, right? That's one positive mm -hmm. interaction right there. Every time you say thank you for something that they've done, every acknowledgement for something that they've done. So it's just a matter of being intentional. I'm going to say thank you 10 times and I'm going to ask 10 questions. Boom, there's 20, 20 positive interactions. Right there. I love that. So we talked a little bit before we started recording about how a lot of these coping strategies you can see with children, like in a parent-child relationship or just families in general. Would you have anything 
to say about that? Yeah, these are not just between couples. These represent the way we interact and the way we react to situations. So if you're scanning the environment for negative with your spouse, you're probably doing the same thing with your kids. You're scanning for when they make mistakes and you're jumping in with criticism. So you can catch yourself doing that with your kids. It's mindset. And you, and you might be defensive. Like, man, teenagers, like my teenage boy stonewalls all the time. And that brings out my criticism, right? So it's the same dynamic. Because this is what happens in very underdeveloped nervous systems. It's this is the way the brain responds. Criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling. So you can also be training them by modeling the opposite. Like if they jump into criticism, right? Because women are more prone to criticism, teenage girls are going to be more critical. So mm. if you have a teenage girl and she's criticizing, you respond, you model not being defensive. So you take ownership, you get curious. So you can model these things with your kids and you can teach them like that is criticism and it's not helpful to our conflict management right now. Or it's just amping up. You can use these words. When you do this, it's escalating the, the negativity. That's not going to get us anywhere. So, yeah, we use these same things with our kids. And so it's just noticing and trying to do the opposite of these things with our spouse, with our kids, because um, our kids are going to push all of our emotional buttons and we're going to react in these same ways <laughs> that okay. we do with our spouse. So it's just being mindful and, and making efforts to change them in ourselves. And that models something different for our kids. Would you have any <clears throat> advice for, you know, a couple wanting to just improve, improve their marriage in general? Maybe they feel like they have a fine, a fine marriage, but it's like, I think more, more is possible for us. What would you have any advice to a couple, like how to begin to find that next level in their relationship? Oh, one of Gottman's things is just to increase the friendship. Um, when you have a good friendship, it really naturally creates a lot of other good things. So he's got a lot of books, The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work, um, The Relationship Prescription, or I can't remember what it's called, but that talks about this. And friendship is just knowing about each other deeply, appreciating each other, valuing each other, enjoying each other's company. Um, so I think you can always, I think it's a never ending task to work on like building your friendship right because especially if you're as parents you get busy with the day-to-day -day and then you're just kind of like strangers passing in the night because you're just so busy so yeah just friendship like hanging out together enjoying time together having fun getting to know each other asking each other questions being grateful expressing gratitude those are you know basics i love it any final words for for anyone listening today be aware of the four horsemen, but don't freak out about them because you're going to notice them. Once you start to be aware yeah. of them, you'll notice them. And that's excellent. If you're noticing them, that means you can have a choice to do things differently. So that's a good thing. Okay. And where can people connect with you, Suzette, and find you? Yeah, I have a website, SuzetteHaltermanCoaching.com. And then I'm active on Instagram, Suzette Halterman. I put a lot of Gottman research findings on there, different um, marriage therapists kind of quotes, resources, books about just helping people navigate differences and just, which is all couples. All couples are navigating differences. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Check out Suzette. Connect with her. She has some, some great stuff and I've loved, I've loved learning from her. Thank you for being here today and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Family Brand Podcast. To say thank you, we have something really awesome we'd love to share with you. 
You know, we often hear from families who will tell us that they just feel so overwhelmed because of the demands that are placed on them. They feel like they're constantly being pulled in so many different directions and spread thin and they're spending time as a family, but they don't feel like it's quality time. They're not really connected and they want to be more intentional. And we can certainly relate because we felt like that at one point in, in our family. And so we created a guide that allowed us to really be more confident around how we spend time as a family and what we say yes to and what we say no to. And it's just brought so much more peace into our home. It's made our lives so much more simple and we want to share it with you. So if you go to familybrand.com forward slash free, you can download the how to take back your family's time guide. And I can promise you, it'll give you more confidence and more peace in your life than your family. One last thing. We feel so inspired when we hear from families that we are making a difference for them. We would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and a review on the podcast so we can reach even more amazing families. We truly believe that the way we change the world is one family at a time.